Bienvenuto, everyone, and welcome to episode three of season two of Rediscovering Italian America. Today, I have my friend on, Amy Chinchi, who I serendipitously ran into or was recommended to talk to by Rita De Benedetto, who interviewed on our first season. Amy Chenchi happens to be, or descendant from ancestors from the same village that my family is from, Vasto Girardi. She talks about her experience of discovering her Italian ancestry, learning that she had the ability to gain jura sanguis or dual citizenship. Now, just as a side note to uh, define that here for everyone, jura sanguis means by blood or citizenship by blood. In Italy, it's one of a few bits of countries that actually allow dual citizenship passed down through generations by blood as long as there was no other citizenship that broke the line. You can read more on your local Italian consulate, or if you want to reach out, we can talk about it more in that manner. This episode is called Piano Piano, and the reason why we've called it that, or little by little, is that as an American, when you suddenly realize that you're abroad, you realize that you have to have patience when you are going into certain situations, and that... If we don't have little by little or patience when we're trying to accomplish things in our lives, then we truly can't get to where we want to be. Have a listen. And as always, I enjoy hearing from everyone who is a fan of the podcast. And I invite anyone who's interested to reach out. Ciao for now. Hi, everyone. Today, I have an American in Rome on for my friend Amy Chenchi on to interview about her process and how she gained dual citizenship and what her current life is like in Rome. So say hello, Amy. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao, ciao, ciao. We'll do it that way then. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, we'll start out on how we got connected. Um, so if you have been Staying tuned to my podcast, I had a Miss Rita De Benedetto on in the first season talk about teaching Italian abroad and then her work with upkeeping the customs and culture of Vasco Girardi, which is mutually our ancestors' hometown. She introduced me. She's like, hey, I got this girl. You got to get to know her. She's about your age. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I loved, you know, meeting new people, passionate people about it. And Long story short, we met and we haven't stopped talking since. Dang right. Well, well it's easy. It's easy. It, yeah. There's something in the blood. There's something in the blood for sure. I, I think it's a, that whole Vestasi uh, thing that uh, like once you find out you're from a village, it's like you're related even though you may not be related kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's such a small place. And I mean, it's kind of a unique, I mean, the U.S. is so huge. And it's, it kind of made it feel like, oh, it is a small world after all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good way of so, putting it. Yeah. You have, you have such a unique difference um, compared to, let's say, somebody like myself, a Midwestern Italian-American. Nobody mm-hmm. really thinks of Italian Americans living in the South other than Louisiana or New Orleans, where the ports came in. Mm. You grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. That I did. What kind of Italian American is that? Well, I mean, 
I grew up in, when I say like before the boom, right? So the boom I would classify would be like the Olympics of 96. Mm-hmm. After the Olympics, the city really diversified and there were a lot of transplants. Um, but growing up, I mean, having the last name of Chenchi, do you think like any Southern teacher got that right on the first try when they were calling yep. roll? No. Um, <laughs> So there wasn't a huge um, Italian like specific community in Atlanta, um, but that did grow as the city grew. Um, There were certainly little chapters here and there, um, as well as obviously, you know, good restaurants. But other than that, you really didn't have much of a community until I would say after the Olympics. What? We'll start from here because I like to ask, when was the first time you actually realized you were Italian-American? Ooh, that is a really good question. Um, I think it was probably when I asked my nonno um, about the, oh, actually I have one on right now, the, um, well, we called it the Maloik. So I was, I was asking, I was like, grandpa, what is that? You know, what is that around your neck? And then he explained to me, you know, it was kind of a superstition to a degree to kind of ward off evil. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, I guess, my introduction to the culture. I think that was maybe like, you know, kindergarten age or something. And it it was just so fascinating, you know, Um, that, and I think a lot of the elements at least for me and my family with Catholicism kind of went hand in hand with a lot of the Italian traditions that we had. So they kind of intermingled. I think, and I've always said this, is that uh, being Italian and then also being Italian Catholic, that the Madonna is everywhere and she's not just in a church or in a statue. She's representative in uh, the uh, our older matriarchs in our family as well. We we revere or uh, venerate, um, you know, our our nonnas, uh, you know, the older women, our mothers, etc. Uh, with it as well. The Catholic mm-hmm. Church isn't a place that we kneel every Sunday. It's it's where we come into and uh, we visit uh, pretty much every single day. Well, we revere the Madonna so much that there are altars to her in homes. Yep. <laughs> can't miss it yeah not to, uh, my parents have just moved and they um have turns in which I've never really like pictured them to do this but they turn one of their sideboards into an altar to the Madonna and I'm like okay <laughs> I'm like, all you had to do is move and then you become even more Catholic <laughs> <laughs> as if there was a question you know what I mean they put that all to bed yeah yeah so you are uh, very much kind of like me. We're not 100%. And this is what I call the new generation of Italian-Americans or that rediscovery generation where, you know, as our, uh, we have our parents who may come from mixed marriages and then our mixed backgrounds or ethnicities. And then we come down to our own generation where we are rediscovering it. Um, yeah, we've yeah we, we've talked about this before yeah, yeah I think this was a consensus that we both kind of came to individually um, and it was really interesting uh, to have you kind of echo the same sort of sentiment yeah. as I yeah I mean I think when my people immigrated over both on my mother and father's side because I'm Italian on my father's side and I'm Slovak and Croatian on my mother's side when they came over I think they were just trying to assimilate as fast as possible yep. so yep. 
while there was some of the language spoken in the households and while there were certain traditions, particularly around the cuisine, um, you know, they wanted their sons and daughters to speak English and be as American as possible. So it's not until like the grandchildren and the great grandchildren where I think there's kind of this rediscovery of your roots, wanting to know where you come from, because like most Americans, you know, it's a relatively newer country and it's a big melting pot yeah. of a variety of different ethnicities. And, you know, while America has its own individual culture, it's still, it's still being solidified, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I know for me, that's one of the reasons why I pursued my citizenship because I wanted to kind of, I wanted to pay homage to that side of my family. So, yeah. And, you know, and I told you it too, um, you know, after the death of, because I'm Italian on my mom's side and I'm Irish, uh, Irish, English, Scottish on my dad's side. And, um, you know, after the death of my nonna, uh, you almost lose that uh, the the reverence of the Madonna, and then I'm like, I don't know who I am, and I started to research and dig into it, and then I studied abroad twice, and then mm. you find out who you actually are and where your place is in the world, and you, everything feels right within that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or or it crops, it, it it brings about more questions, or it makes you more aware of certain things because, yeah. and we can certainly go into this in a little bit, but like now that I've lived in Europe um, continually for the past year and a half, almost two years, I'm finding that there's kind of this push pull where I, I don't quite feel totally European and I don't quite feel totally American. I feel that I'm a conglomerate of both, Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting kind of headspace to be in, you know? When I lived abroad, too, I felt that same way. Like, uh, you know, the only time that somebody would know that I was American is when I would open up my mouth. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it's like you start to fall into place with everything. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also find where you uh, have those conflicts as well, uh, socially, um, uh, you know, within the system, and of which we'll touch on that, too, uh, frustrations of going through the dual citizenship as well. Uh, that you're like yeah. you expect everything to be like come on like a pronto pronto you know let's hurry up because y'all go too slow yeah yeah you need to have your patience hat and it's kind I of a like, go with the flow just go that's that's the whole vibe I think and that's probably something that just overall everybody should adopt just go with the flow yeah uh, uh, there's a there's a saying of which and I always roll my eyes at it but it's an Italian uh dolce fa niente the, the sweetness of doing nothing yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't do that. I don't like, that's the one thing with the American that comes out in me. I'm like, oh, come yeah, on. But you know what though? That will slowly but surely dissipate from you because I'm yeah. the same way. And I, I, I attribute that not only to my personality, but obviously the culture in which I was raised. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are challenges when you go to a culture and you have to upshift as well as when you go to a culture where you have to downshift. And I certainly have had to downshift with quite a few things in the way I operate over uh -huh. here. Um, I will say overall, this is, in my opinion, probably a healthier way of living. It, I don't feel like I'm part of the rat race over here. There is certainly more of an emphasis on the simple and the sensual, yeah. like stop and smell the roses sort of vibe. Eat which, your food slower and actually know what you're actually eating. Exacto, exacto. So that, that to me, while it's been challenging sometimes, 
overall, I think is probably the most, I mean, it's, it's beneficial. It's the best way to live life. And it, it makes you more self-aware, you know, and more in the moment. I, I, th I, I think, and we'll move on from this here because we could touch on it for a lot. Um, I think it's quintessentially American when you are constantly striving for the next thing, improving, building, structuring, yeah. and moving mm -hmm. in that direction. Because if you don't move forward, then you're not doing the American thing. Well, then, but then it's some sort of negative thing. You're like lazy or something. Yeah. We're, yeah. Whereby over here, I think there there is much better work life balance, and people understand that. Uh, yeah, work hard, but I also want to live. Like, yeah. Yeah. Life isn't all just work, 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 work. You're gonna work, work, work for what? Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, many of my favorite moments studying abroad and then also being back in Basto Girardi as well as sitting around the table. And um, uh, I've learned this trick is that you sit in the middle of the table so that you can be involved in all conversations. Because <laughs> if you're on one end, then you feel left out. And somebody told me that that's being nosy. <laughs> But, I'm like, but you know when you have the flow and you actually sit there and listen you can hear the flow of life yeah. around you and it's a unique thing that I've never really been able to have other than family gatherings here in the United States it's all I think it's quintessential uh European yeah well I mean I think just the emphasis around around gathering to the table period and yeah. there's an emphasis on food and that it's it's not just like the food itself, but it's that whole ritual behind the yeah. preparation, the actual like, you know, con consumption of it um, and the social aspect around it. I mean, it's it's a big deal here. Well, since we're on food, um, what do you find is a standout difference between food in Italy and especially since you're located in Rome and then your food experience here in the United States? Girl, how much time do you have? I know, right? Uh, I would say initially to me, um, the one thing that I've noticed, especially when it comes to recipes, mm -hmm. there are fewer ingredients here. So there's more of an emphasis on the quality of the ingredient versus the quantity mm -hmm. of the ingredients. Um, they are, you know, big, big proponents of, you know, fresh and local. And I mean, can you blame them? No. I mean, they produce some of the best produce. I mean, you've got some and of the you best do it in meat. season as well. You don't buy yeah. tomatoes in the winter time because tomatoes aren't being grown and they're not fresh there. You do your right exactly. You do your preserves. Well, speaking of, so that is, um, I read a statistic somewhere where it says, and this kind of seems a bit morbid, but the average American, based on the consumption of preservatives, um after you die, um, your body is preserved for up to two days because of all of those chemicals that we ingest oh. in the American diet. So um, whenever I've expressed that sentiment to an Italian, they're like, oh, which I, you know, understandably so. Yeah. But overall, I think um, things to me, to my palate, don't taste as, um, there's not as much of a, as an assault on the sweetness. <laughs> in the US, there's a, a lot more sugar in things. Um, there's, um, yeah, it just doesn't taste as fresh. However, there are certain things that I just, like as an American that I crave and that I will never stop craving that I cannot get here. So like a nice, like, you know, Chick-fil-A sandwich, I, you know, I will always, always adore. Um, 
that and like root beer. This and them is quintessential yeah, yeah. American things. But I mean, here. Well, when I come over, I'll make sure I put those in my suitcase then. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, because I mean, being in Rome, there are, it's because it's a metropolitan city, they do have certain stores, um, that import American goods, but I mean, the tax is so high. Like for instance, if I wanted tried and true, like Canadian maple syrup, it's something like nine or 10 Euro. Uh, which exactly. is upwards of almost $15, depending upon what the exchange is for the day. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I don't need pancakes that bad. You know? <laughs> so so, um, yeah. Yeah. What do you find when you go out to eat? What the difference is in Rome? Um, in terms of service or yeah. well, okay. service and experience? Um, I think the um, wait staff tends to take their cues from the customers. Mm -hmm. So um, you can sit and linger as long as you want. I mean, again, it's a ritual. So you mm -hmm. go, you sit, when you're ready to order, you can flag them down, um, you know, and then when it comes to paying, um, that's something that they're not going to bring you unless you specifically ask for it. Um, so it, there's an understanding that sit, take your time. It's not like, let's, you know, turn these tables around sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, when it comes to the times, so for instance, I'm still trying to get used to eating dinner a lot later. Um, aperitivo, uh, which is usually yep. like you know, a drink and some nibbles, uh, typically happens around 7.30 or so. And then afterwards you go to dinner. So sometimes you won't finish dinner, especially if you know, you're having a good time and you're with your friends and you're catching up. I mean, you might finish at 11. And I'm used to, as an American, typically having my dinner like at six or six thirty. Mm -hmm. So that's something that has has been a little bit of a a change for me, but a welcomed one. Anything that stands out that you, um, I always call this uh, the rude awakening experience. When you first got to Rome, did you ever have something that kind of threw you or made you feel or understand your Americanism within that moment? Ooh, that is a good question. You know what? I, I still get little bits of that here and there. I don't think it's been like one particular yeah. moment. Um, little bits here and there, like tipping. I, I am aware that it's not as much of a tip-based culture here. Yeah. And it's, I still have to catch myself, like not going to tip if I have a cab ride or not going to tip if I, you know, had a, a great meal at a restaurant or not going to tip when I get a, you know, like a spa service or something that kind of still reminds me of how American I am, as well as when we were talking about earlier, kind of the difference between how the authority, like the authority figures um, are viewed here, or like the military, for instance, as an American um, it's the military are people that you very much revere, not to say that the Italians don't, but there's more of, um, a tilt of your hat to the American military. Whereas here, um, uh, kind of being tried and true to like the Italian mindset, it's like, there's a, 
there's a bit of suspicion around the authority, you know, authority figures here. So it's not you, as- You, you like, make a point. Um, I was warned one time, the Carabinieri um, were some, I forget who told me one time when I was studying abroad, the Carabinieri were involved in the mafia. And I'm like, like, don't get like, just like that, like suspicion around the whole thing. It's like, if you ever need help, don't go to the Carabinieri. And, yeah, well, that's the other thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind around, along with Italian politics, because even <laughs> some of my really good Italian friends are like, we can't explain it to you. So I'm like, well, you can't explain it. How am I supposed to know? But the same sort of thing when it comes to the Carabinieri and the Polizia, you've got like a, a variety of different divisions here, and they all service different, uh, you know, different aspects of society. And it's great to have that variety, but at the same time, like I'd like for it to just be simple. You yeah. know, like in the US, you call the police. Yeah. <laughs> call that call 911. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um something uh that I always uh like to to ask, and especially too, since you've been there, when I was studying and living um abroad, I always felt like the blinds were gonna be pulled up and it was always gonna be fake to me like it, it's a fake facade or the whole experience that I'm walking around and it's like when it, will it go away um the reason why I similar to pinch yourself sort of experience yeah and the, you know, the, same, the same thing um is is that because Rita asked me this one time and she uh, uh, and I found it so taken by it that I always ask everybody who's American who's living abroad um are you um taken by it just because of the beauty or the Hollywood aspect of Italy or do you really feel sensi loki and what she when she described what sensi loki is which is sense of place and I think being Italian-American uh, I think you and I are probably on the same bout that it, it's more of like that's where we feel everything is to be instead of um, when I was first in Italy, I felt like the blinds were gonna be pulled up and it was all gonna be taken away from me. Well, I mean, I think th there's, um, there's a draw to this particular country for a variety of reasons. I feel like even if I, heritage aside, yeah, having a love of history and i mean there are a lot of things that are kind of in stark opposition to the us i mean the us is such a new country with such uh you know the history is relatively i mean it's young it's within it's the last kind of, you know to, uh, less than 300 years yeah yeah i mean the us is still a big puppy right yeah. um versus here there's a certain level of i mean you always get that wow factor because you're walking down roads that are literally as old as dirt, you know, I mean, again, some of these phrases, you know, all the roads lead to Rome and, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, it's, it's amazing to be able to just as like walk to language school or, you know, uh, walk to a social event or whatever. And you're passing by some of these, I mean, monuments, uh, and these, you know, staples of what we kind of revere as, you know, historical, historical, you know, big pieces of, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I guess identifiers, like yeah. you've got the Colosseum, you've got, you know, statues of Caesar, you've got like Largo Argentina, we were talking about with the cats. Um, so I think that to me is intriguing, but then also I, there is, there's something in me that just 
I feel even when I'm, a, I feel like I'm a fish out of water, there's part of me that does feel at home here. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that does feel at peace, almost like I belong, uh-huh. despite not knowing the language fluently. Um, so it's, it's an odd mix to have, but there is some sort of kind of magnetic pool within me to this yeah. place for sure. For sure. You, you know, one of my favorite things uh, um, is that when, because I'd always arrive from the airport, take the, tr- the fast train in from the airport, then you, you arrive into Roma Termini. And when the trains arrive, it says, Bienvenue a Roma Termini. And I'm like, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's, it's when I first start seeing the pines. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like yeah. that, that I'm like, oh, I'm in Rome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. So you touched on language. So um, I think um, everybody, especially as an adult learning a second language, it has become very difficult. And we've also said too, it's like you and I've had this very same experience. My mother, it's like, you're in America now, you speak English. Your your relatives are like, no, you speak English, you assimilate. And how has it been for you to re-assimilate back to what would be our mother tongue well it's been a very humbling experience I'll give you that much um even some of the Italian phrases and words that I learned from like my grandfather um for example I realized were American or like English versions of Italian um the Italians uh have I mean, they've held on to their language um, and obviously in, you know, metropolitan areas, there are going to be some people that speak English, which is great. And I've learned that hand gestures and facial expressions go a long way, even despite, you know, the mask. Um, but generally, they're very warm people. And as long as you make some sort of effort, yeah. um, even without the, I mean, they're, they're happy to help. And anytime I've apologized, ironically enough, anytime I've apologized for not being able to speak fluent Italian, the response to me is like, oh, I'm so sorry that I don't speak English, which boggles my mind because no, no, I'm here in your your country, (laughs) my country now as well. Like I should be fluent. Um, But I think what's particularly challenging aside from just, you know, being older, trying to acquire another language is in Italy, there are multiple dialects. Because, I mean, you know, we forget Italy is a relatively new country. I mean, it was only unified in the, what, 1860s? Yeah. So prior to that, I mean, you, I mean, they're still trying to kind of marry all the different regions and kind of get everybody under a cohesive umbrella. But that is incredibly apparent when it comes to the language, because someone from Sicily, for instance, will not be able to understand anybody else. Yeah, might not be understood by someone who is comes from, you know, Firenze, which is where the, you know, the official Italian dialect uh, comes from. And um, you and I, uh, being from Vastro Girardi, our our ancestral home, the dialect of the Vastese dialect is, uh, they're now reteaching it to the younger children because uh, I think it's becoming subsidized within the regions and you can do Mm -hmm. it. But uh, the Vastese dialect alone, I have to tell people, you sp- speak uh, solamente italiana, because I, the dialect is just something that my grandmother would maybe be able to understand, but for me, 
I'm like, you, you have to put it in Italian first and then we'll talk about what it is in the dialect. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. It's been, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge, but not, it's not anything that um, deters me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's still, there are still days where I get frustrated, but I think everybody by and large is so encouraging here that, I don't know, it just, it, it makes me more passionate about learning more. So you want, and you want to use more and more every single time as well. Right. Which has been particularly, I mean, that was particularly difficult because I mean, I've been here during the pandemic. So there have been levels of um, restrictions in place here and there, depending on you know how infection rates have gone. So there have been times where I haven't been able to practice or interface as much with Italians as I would like. So that's another kind of factor in my learning process that I didn't really think about when I made the decision yeah. to come over here, but um, you pros and cons, pros and cons for sure coming over during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, the language, the language is still something that I'm working on. So check in with me again next year and perhaps I'll be a little bit. I need quick. somebody to practice. My mother, uh, you know, my mother only learned how to speak Italian through the Godfather movie. Uh, so she translates way better than what she speaks, but I need somebody to practice with. Otherwise it's, it's me and an app on my cell phone. All right, listen, we'll get it on the calendar and yeah, we'll do some please. practice for sure. For well, sure. whenever, whenever two busy, you know, middle-aged women are, uh, have some first time. <laughs> we'll make it happen. We'll yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Um, so let's get down to business on the Juris Sanguis. Um, so yeah. Juris Sanguis means, um, by blood. So in right. Italy, and it's one of the few countries that you can actually pass dual citizenship down through blood. You have a very different experience than what I've had. So uh, there are two routes. You can go through a male line and mm -hmm. that it has to go all the way back to your originating ancestor within the country mm -hmm. and that they could not have um naturalized right. let's say in america before right, right. the next line was born if the next line right. was already born then note the line is broken but if they right. have not naturalized which you got lucky with with your route then um, it makes it way easier mine on the other hand you have to do what's called a 1912 case because all of my male lines naturalized before the next line was born cutting it but luckily enough, uh, Vastor Girardi is probably very passionate about connecting with their American descendants and that it has made the process loads easier for me. Because I can only imagine some of these people who are doing a 1912 case where you have to go through the female line and prove that the female never naturalized. Because in the United you States- have to, You yeah. have to really want it. I mean, because it, it's yeah. a lot of research. It's a lot of paperwork and it's a lot of patience. That's uh -huh. like what you have to have with everything here. So um, where did you start in your journey? Um, well, actually it was a coworker of mine, another Italian American. Uh, funnily enough, we were either at lunch or something. We were just kind of talking about our heritage and he was saying, oh, you know, did you realize that Italy, you know, is one of the countries that recognizes citizenship by right of blood. And I was like, well, no. And I spoke to, I, I remember later on that week, I spoke with my dad about it. And he said that he had heard about it, but nobody really had ever pursued it. And this kind of all coalesced around the same time that I was doing a lot of um, genealogical research. Um, so I looked 
into it and I dug around. There are a variety of different resources online, um, especially like the um, consulates in the US um, are very helpful. Uh, at least the websites are. <laughs> and if you can get in touch with someone. We'll, we'll, we'll get into our into our frustrations. <laughs> yeah. um, and if, I mean, usually by and large, if you can get in touch with the representative, they're able to answer a lot of your questions too. But so I found out that uh, my bisnono, uh, my great grandfather, when he emigrated over, he did not relinquish his citizenship by the time my grandfather was born. Therefore, citizenship or it, Italy recognizes that citizenship passed to my grandfather and then to my father and then to me. And I was the last generation that could have gotten it. Now it's almost like been renewed. So I had to... Uh, acquire birth certificates and marriage certificates and death certificates, essentially proving my relationship to my great-grandfather, because that's the relative that I was able to get it through. Um, and let me just tell you, trying to acquire a birth certificate from the late 1800s, because he was born in 1898 from Vasto Girardi, um, was a bit of a challenge, but again, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and I had to have everything translated and, um, and, uh, apostille, apostle, yeah. Apostle. Um, you have to, you have to get the apostle within the state that you got in the document. Uh, so let's say if you were located where uh, you at the time in a Georgia and you got a document, let's say hypothetically from my state, Ohio, you have mm -hmm. to ask for it to be apostled in Ohio hmm. for your Georgia document. Yeah. Which Long makes time. it 10 times harder and you really have to want this. But then again, it reinforces, I mean, it, yeah. it reinforces that connection. To the, I mean, to me, at least that's what, you know, my experience, um, I felt like I was kind of getting closer to family members that I never had the chance to meet. Um, and I think it's beautiful to put it that way. Yeah. And it was yeah. that investment just kind of recharged me. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. like, the investment of my time and energy, it just kind of, it made the desire within me stronger. Um, so I, the one thing that I wish somebody would have told me when I went into the process was <laughs> to go ahead and secure your appointment as soon as you possibly can with the consulate, because it took about a solid six to eight months for me to acquire all the documents and to get everything kind of all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. And then when I went to uh, make my appointment in the con in, at the consulate to present all of my paperwork, it was like a year and a half. Like I had to wait a year and a half of the appointment because it's my understanding in the U.S. there are there are different tiers of consulates. Yeah, um, but the main three. I believe are New York, LA, and Miami. And because I was living in Atlanta at the time, I fell under Miami's jurisdiction. So I had to physically go down there for my appointment um, to submit all of my paperwork. And then of course, in tried and true Italian fashion, once I submitted all my paperwork, they kind of gave me a time frame as to when I could expect to receive an answer. And of course, like I ended up waiting like double <laughs> the estimated time frame. Um, but you know, everything turned out, you know, smashingly. So, you know, for me, my whole process started right before the pandemic, right after my mother finished her chemotherapy and was, uh, was uh, termed uh, cancer-free. And I'm like, okay, it'll give us something to do. And then the pandemic hit 
And I swear to Holy Moses, I've never learned what patience is. And I still struggle with that. And now, <laughs> and now with, it's in the middle of the winter time in Ohio and in Ohio, people are so special where they have to get the bread and milk every time that a winter front comes through and they know they have enough bread and milk in the fridge to last mm. them until the roads will be cleaned, that the courts are always shut down. So I'm like, oh my gosh, when will this be done? This year, it will be done because I have to get two last documents and that, that uh, package will be sent to Italy with bows tied and I'll, I will kiss it with uh, dark red lipstick. To <laughs> but just, just think, Emma, like if you're able to get through this, everything else is going to like be like child's play. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you can make it through this process, everything else is going to be a cakewalk. But I mean, that is true though. It, it's, it is a lesson in patience. And, you know, uh, like I said, I mean, even with the going back and forth with Miami, it, it's everything took double the amount of time. Um, I remember the woman telling me, she's like, well, you know, of course, I'm only one person. And I, I have to, you know, I have I'm now in charge of two departments. So there's always something going. So yeah. even even without the pandemic, it's there's still, yeah, yeah. yeah um so what has the italian passport given you well i mean i don't have to wait in the, in the passport lines as long when i go through <laughs> the airport yeah um, i think you know living over here it's certainly an advantage um it's kind of the gold standard i have the citizenship i don't i don't need a visa um i can kind of come and go as i please to a degree um i think for me, particularly, um, it gives me peace of mind mm -hmm. um, on, on a personal note um, to kind of have that in my back pocket, um, especially with a lot of like the political upheaval over the past years. You know, it's it's nice to kind of know that I have an option of kind of going back and forth if I want to. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say just that general acceptance when you kind of flash that maroon passport and they kind of like wave you through it's the same it's the same thing as coming back to the states where they say welcome back yeah. it's that it's that acceptance like oh yeah i'm home and that's something that is intangible and invaluable and i and i absolutely love it so you um i love how you put how you describe your job um how has working in italy been for you and uh if you want you can explain what you do too uh so that people can under or get an idea that you know working isn't just in a box store it can be all sorts of platforms sure yeah i mean i generally like to kind of drill it down and say i work in digital marketing because um you know there are multiple facets of the industry. And sometimes if I go into too much detail, people's eyes tend to glaze over. Um, but specifically my company um, drives traffic to uh, job listings in multiple countries via the email channel. So we decided to open the Italian market in the before times, like literally November of 2019. So I came over here and spent about six or seven weeks um, opening up the market, as well as on a personal note, trying to, you know, take stock as to whether I, you know, I, I thought that I could hack it um, being over here full time. And uh, thankfully, I kind of left with the yes answer. Um, but and unfortunately, the pandemic kind of delayed that my full move over. Um, so my work 
and, and my position is a little unique in that I'm not going into an office. I'm, I'm smart working. Um, so I've had clients come in town, um, which has been lovely. And it's great to kind of be able to show Rome to them. I think the biggest challenge for me really is just the time zones. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always kind of dealt with that in my job. Um, it is to a degree like solving for X when I have to get on a conference call with multiple people in different countries. Um, but by and large, I mean, my, my work environment and how I work has primarily kind of stayed static. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have to worry about any um, Italian taxes on your um, income versus American taxes? So because I am getting paid um, through my American company, we're not subjected to Italian tax. Mm -hmm. um, it's my understanding, you know, if you are a, if you claim residency here and this is your main residence, then you are subject, uh, you're subjected to tax. Um, so uh, as well as obviously if you're employed by an Italian company. So um, that's something that the, even the commercialistas have differing opinions on. Uh -huh. um, but for me, because I'm getting paid as um, an American through an American company, I, my, what I'm subjected to is a little different. How had, uh, because I know there are a lot of loopholes too with renting. How has your renting experience been with uh, uh, living or trying to find a place? Has anything well, it, even it, been overpriced? Well, I mean, they do it a little differently here. It's definitely, the contracts are definitely more renter friendly versus in the US, I feel like it's more landlord friendly. Uh -huh. uh, they, they usually have um, like three twos or four fours, which means you can rent um, a space for three years. And then if you want to, after those three years, renew it for the same contract in, for an additional two, that's what that means. Four, four mm -hmm. means the same. Um, there's also something that's a little bit more, um, it's a little, it requires a little less of a commitment as a transitorio. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I honestly, I lucked out. Um, when I got here initially in August of 2020, I didn't quite know where I wanted to be in the city. There were a few areas that had piqued my interest and I spent you know, six weeks in one area, six weeks in another. And right now I'm in San Giovanni and um, I stayed in an Airbnb. And the, the, not only is the apartment absolutely lovely, but I really just fell in love with the neighborhood because it's 15 minutes via Metro um, to all of like the- um, like the, You are the very central, yeah. There. Right. Yeah. But I've got San Giovanni, like literally right there. So you, it's got a good mix of um, you know, young professionals, families, retirees, and it's really well connected by it, by the metro. But um, yeah, the Airbnb that I rented, I, I fell in love with it. And I talked to the owner and we ended up, you know, putting together a contract. So this is where I'm at now. Oh, nice. You got lucky yeah. then. Okay. I, I did. didn't know that I did. that was an Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, what, so I like to also get back to, um, because you've had a little bit more unique experiences going to the Molise region. And I always like to touch about the Molise region, especially because it's, people say uh, Molise non existe. So it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
because it's the it's the newest region um, within Italy. Right. What, what are some of your favorite experiences you've had within the Molise region? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, Molise is definitely it's more wild, right? It's one of the yeah. more um, undiscovered, kind of untapped jewels of Italy. So Molise and Abruzzo were one cohesive region for a while and they split. Um, I particularly enjoy Molise for a number of reasons, but one of the things that always humors a lot of my friends back home is when I talk to them about the Italian cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> and cowgirls. Um, you know, people often associate Italy with, you know, like the the pasta and you know the the coliseum the, the, the main like staples right yeah. but there but there are so many uh unique underlying details i mean in and molise is a perfect reflection of what makes italy so diverse because when you go there i mean it's a very mountainous which is lovely mm -hmm. um it's it's very agricultural or at least it, it was for a very long time you've got um an emphasis on uh like the ranching to a degree um but molise to me i enjoyed mostly for the people i yeah. mean it's in a weird way and i think i might have mentioned this to you before even though i'm not fluent in the language one of the first times i went to malaysia i honest to god felt like i was at home with my family because of the way that people were interacting yep. you know kind of like you know, a little louder a little bit, you know more expressive you know kind of like you know yeah, yeah. that to me was very very familiar because that's how i remember you know my grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody interacting and that's how they i mean it's the same sort of thing there um and everybody because it is a smaller region everybody uh there's a, a tremendous sense of pride and everybody kind of uh, embraces each other, you know, there's, it's not like a, a rivalry because you know, sometimes when you get into smaller regions between different communes or different you know, cities, there might be some rivalry in Molise. That's, that's not it. You're from Molise. You're from Molise. You're like one of us, you know. You sono Molisana, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 even though my grandfather's from Cesar uh, um, Calende, which is right outside of uh, Milan, you know, I feel more connected to the Molise region than any other place. Uh, and you know how you talk about like where you felt like everything fit in. The first time I went to uh, Vastor Girardi, I felt like all of my grandmother's stories that I used to beg her to tell me came to life. And mm -hmm. I felt like I could see my my great aunt's faces and all of the women and um, I yeah, could see, yeah uh, you know, uh, come to life. It's, it, uh, you know, for all those that have passed, they are always, um, uh, the, their memory lives on or their memory is eternal with everything. Yeah, but in the other thing, yeah. the other thing about specifically about Vasto Girardi, which I can appreciate is that it, it has not been altered. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something that you have to take into consideration. During the Second World War, there were a lot of villages that got, not only say completely destroyed, but they, I mean, there was some destruction that took place. Yeah. It was either from the south or from the north, and Vasto Girardi just happened to be smacked up in the middle, and they weren't yep. touched. Yep. So, I mean, you've got, you've got ruins there that are, I mean, older than Rome. The so, Sam I mean, Knight, yeah, the Sam Knight. Uh, so, um, uh, if anyone's listening, though, so you have the famous Etruscans from the Tuscany area, and then you have the Sam Knights, which are from 
the Molise region, and they are older than the Etruscans. If I if I'm wrong, please anyone you know fix me on that. But from to my knowledge, yes, they're older. And I mean, they were renowned warriors. It take it yeah. took the Romans, from my understanding, three times, not once, not twice, but thrice, to conquer them. So, um, and there there are a variety of different um, like ruins of like amphitheaters um yeah in uh, pietro abundante is one of the most complete amphitheaters of the samnite temple yeah, so yeah. yeah so that that is um one of the amphitheaters that is um uh, i guess the the it's ergonomically correct Am I yeah saying that? where you can sit and it will match right. the spine yeah Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really that's awesome. And that's not too far of a drive from Vastagirardi. It's like it's no. absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and you also talk about um, your uh, experience with the Italian bagpiping. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and which I find it, you know, living in Scotland, I I love the bagpipe. And it wasn't until I got to, uh, I went to Vastro Girardi, I think the second time that I uh, experienced the bagpipe because they had a band there. Um, uh, I'll put this in my intro uh, to that people can match it up with because I have to look up his name, but they do the bagpipes uh, with their band. Isn't it funny? I mean, granted, the Scottish have got the bagpipes down pat. Yeah. I mean, isn't it, to me, it, that's, it was mind blowing to find out that, oh my gosh, okay, there's a similar instrument. Is that Zamponia? Zamponia? I believe that's Yeah, 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 yeah. it is, yeah. Um, yeah. In Italy. So it's like, I mean, I know the Scottish kind of have, uh, have that, that's their claim to fame, but listen, the Italians the Italian, can run some money too, I, okay? I, I, joke, I joke about that all the time. You know, uh, like being married to a Greek man, I'm like, the Greeks created uh, civilization, Italians have perfected it. Italians yeah. have perfected it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's an actually, there's a festival in a place called Scapoli in Molise that happens every year in either June or July. I want to say probably late June. Um, and it's the international quote unquote bagpipe festival. So you've got um, you've got participants from Scotland, obviously. Um, I believe there are um, some participants from some areas in Africa where they have like a similar instrument. Uh, but unfortunately of the past few years uh, because of COVID they've had to kind of dial down the festivities, but Fingers and toes crossed. This year, it's going to go on like normal. So I will report back to you. On yes, how that please. Uh, you've yeah. got to you've got to film it because uh, I need to have uh, you know experience with it. I haven't been too far uh, beyond Vaso Girardi just because of transportation uh, issues mm -hmm. every time I've gone over. But this time now, since I'm a big girl and I feel <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not in college, I don't have to depend on people driving me around. Are you Are you going to drive over here? Um, so I felt comfortable and I survived when I went to my husband's home or, you know, home country. So I think I will, as long as okay. Paso Silencio is bacha, you know, uh, <laughs> I think we'll okay. be okay. I'll pick okay. you up and we'll drive over because there's more to, <laughs> there's more to discover in the Molise region than what I have on the surface discovered. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I will be happy to kind of point yeah. and show yeah. exactly. And listen, it's still, um, there's still a lot to uncover for even myself. Yeah. So I'll be happy to kind of take you around and show you where I've been, what I've seen. So um, I'll leave it on this one because I like to end with these uh, types of questions. Um, what is an No pressure, Emma. I know, no right. Um, I like to um, end on a few uh, questions that are the same. Um, 
what is a, an Italian-American tradition that you are going to take into the future with you that you find or treasure the most? <laughs> I've, I've, this seems so trivial and, I, and I'm sure when we get done with this interview, I'll like think of like 15 other things that I want to share. But uh, whenever I go and get like pizza or um, a food that is traditionally served hot, even if it's lukewarm, they'll ask if I want it, if I want it heated up. And when I went back for Christmas, I found myself like going into bakeries and being like, can you want this muffin? Is there, can you do, and they're like, oh, nobody's ever asked us that before. I'm like, I, did yeah. that. I did that the first time I came back from Italy and they're like, what? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a, I, my approach to food is certainly, uh, has certainly changed and for the better um, okay. and going forward, there are a lot of things that I, you know, I've been doing differently um, that, you know, no matter where I am in the world, um, I will probably continue to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just overall, like I said before, this attitude towards the life, just, madam, relax. No, no, don't worry. That is exactly the sort of attitude that I want to bring into anything that I do, because I feel like so often just in today's day and age with everything that we're faced with and on top of it, just kind of the way that American society, unfortunately, um, kind of causes us to operate. We don't really take the time to like, just breathe. Like the world isn't ending. Just relax. Piano, piano, piano. So piano. that attitude, yeah, I just want to take with me no matter where I go. And you are, you have the uniqueness of being Italian by heritage, but Italian American, but then you have dual citizenship in Italy. What advice do you have for those um, Italian Americans striving to be Italian-American in Italy, but also having dual citizenship kind of hodgepodge that you have? I, I mean, honestly, patience and perseverance is what you need. Um, I think, and, and to be quite honest, putting that much time and energy into something makes you value it all the more. Um, so if it's something that you identify that you want to pursue, make sure you go into it with your whole heart and your whole mind. Otherwise, you know, it, like they say over here, Italian bureaucracy can, you know, <laughs> kill the strongest of spirits. So make sure you're committed. Yeah. Um, and uh, know that, I mean, it's worth it. It's worth yeah. it in the end. It's so worth it in the end. And you have a community of, you know, of Italians as well as um, expats over here that are, you know, going to embrace you with open arms when that day comes and you finally do acquire that citizenship so the yeah. world is so much larger than what we think it is but yet is also i think as generations come by so much smaller because we are more connected mm -hmm. exactly uh, you know uh, in the days when our our ancestors came over they would only be able to communicate with a letter or two back home and now we can zoom uh, as long as we coordinate what time works. Well. Yeah, 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 
Yeah. Well, and you know what? The, the other thing too, like when our ancestors you know, emigrated over, they kind of settled in communities, you know, that Not were the same. Yeah. But, and ironically enough, people kind of do the same thing here. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got the American Club of Rome, you've got, you know, so there are reflections of home yeah. here as well. So it's, you've, yeah, you feel at home no matter where you are. I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day. Um, what is the current time difference in Italy to the United States? Is it five or six? So we are, well, in, yeah, Italy is about six hours ahead of the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so right now it's about 10.30 p.m. for me, but, yeah. you know. And 4, 4 to 4.30 p.m. here in uh, the good old state of Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> well, no worries. Listen, this is why they have espresso. Okay. I know. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much. No worries. Always appreciated, you know, and I appreciate your time and sharing uh, with everybody with the podcast, Rediscovering Italian America. Ciao for now, everybody. Ciao, ciao.